Okay, tonight I'm going to ask you to please open your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, of course, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy, if you'll open there. We're going to go to chapter 1, Deuteronomy chapter 1, if you'll open there. I know some of you worked today, or I'm sure most of you had to work today, and I appreciate you taking time to rush home from work and grab a bite to eat if you even got to do that and then make it here this evening. Thank you for coming. I want to set the scene just a little bit here. Uh, Moses is leading the children of Israel uh, from Egypt to the Promised Land. It was a journey that was supposed to take about five or six months, and most of you know the story. It wound up taking uh, uh, 40 years. Just before they... Uh, ended the journey at the 40 year, about the 40 year mark and crossed over the Jordan River and went into the promised land. They stopped and one last time Moses got up and he made a big speech to all the people. And in this speech he's reminding them of what they've already learned. He's recapping some of the things that happened along the journey. And in fact the entire book of Deuteronomy is this big speech that Moses makes. But as Moses is opening the uh, speech, the, some of the, his opening comments in the speech, he is referring back to something that happened 39 and a half years ago. They were about three or four months into the journey. Something happened. They had to stop and deal with it. And so they've taken this journey now for 40 years. They're here at the end of the journey. And Moses is in front of all the people. And he's making this last speech to them uh, before they go in the promised land. And he goes to heaven. And he uh, he's, starts off by saying, uh, I want to remind you of something that happened 39 and a half years ago. So if you'll keep that in mind, uh, I'll, I'll point out to you when, when he's referring back to, to what happened 39 and a half years ago. So if you'll begin in uh, chapter 1, and we'll begin with verse 9. And I spake unto you at that time, so this is Moses speaking right now at the end of the 40-year journey, but he's referring back to at that time, 39 and a half years ago, when they had this problem. It says, And I spake unto you at that time, 39 and a half years ago, saying, I am not able to bear you myself alone. The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, you are this day, this day 39 and a half years ago, as the stars of heaven for multitude. So Moses is standing here speaking to the people, and he says, Don't forget, I told you, 39 and a half years ago, that there were so many of you that I couldn't take care of all of you by myself. He said, the Lord had already multiplied you to where you were like the stars of the heaven, and there was no way that I could take care of everything that everybody needed by myself. All right, let's continue reading, if you would. Look in verse 12. Uh, How can I myself alone bear your cumbrance? Notice that word cumbrance, if you would. And your burden, notice the word burden, please. And your strife, and notice the word strife. Take you wise men and understanding and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. And ye answered me, thirty-nine and a half years ago, and said, The thing which thou hast spoken is good for us to do. So I took the chief of your tribes wise men and known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands, 
and captains over hundreds, and captains over fifties, and captains over tens, and officers among your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, thirty-nine and a half years ago, saying, Hear ye the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother, and the stranger that is with him. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will bear it. So Moses is explaining to the people, he's reminding them that he explained to them uh, that, that there were too, it was too much for one man to oversee everything involved in this whole nation of people moving from Egypt back to their homeland of, of Israel. And by the way, any time you have any type of an organization, whether it be a family, a school, a business, a church, uh, uh, it, it doesn't matter what it is, uh, it, 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 if it's growing and if it's moving forward, it's going to reach the point to where no one man can be in, uh, can, can, uh, no one man can take care of every little detail that needs to be, be done. It, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just impossible. And so Moses said, I can't take care of all your cumbrance, all your burden, and all your strife. Now, I'm gonna give you tonight, I'm gonna give you Ray Young's definition of the word cumbrance, the word burden, and the word strife. Now, I'm not sure that Noah Webster would agree with me, but someday when we get to heaven, he'll understand I was right and he was wrong. But, but anyway, so be it. <laughs> but, but I'm going to give you my definition of cumbrance in this context here. Your cumbrance are those things that slow you down in life. Those things that you have to have to get through life, to go on your journey in life. But I'm talking about your house, your health, your pots and pans, your furniture, your clothes, your food, your car, your money, your job, your cat, your dog, your horse, your bicycle, your purse, your makeup, your toothbrush, your books, all those things that you have to have, or we feel like we have to have most of them, to get through life. Uh, okay, you remember the songwriter wrote, Cumbered with a Load of Care? Uh, that's our cumbrance. And your burden is the fact that you have to carry all that cumbrance through through life. You know, uh, a house is a wonderful thing to have until the roof starts leaking, <laughs> and then it becomes a burden. <laughs> you know, a car is a wonderful thing to have until you rush out of the house one morning with a donut in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other. You're already running late, and there's a flat tire on the car. Now that car becomes a burden. <laughs> you know, furniture is wonderful stuff to have until you have to pile it on, the, uh, on a two-wheel cart and pull it with a donkey 500 miles across the desert like they had to, then it becomes a burden. So your cumbrance are those things that slow you down. The burden is the carrying of those things. And then the strife is when you have your things that you're carrying through life, and I have my things that I'm carrying through life, and somewhere along the journey, one of us makes a mistake, and some of your things bump into some of my things, and now we have strife. And that's what Moses was talking about here, was that he couldn't take care of everybody's things. He couldn't help everybody carry everything to the promised land. And he couldn't referee all the strife by himself. Okay, let me, let me describe it for you. Moses 
has all the people lined up here. Some people say there was over a million people in the nation of Israel at this time. So he's got a million people all lined up here. And they've all got their little two-wheel cart. They've all got their stuff stacked on it. They've got their donkey in the front. And they're taking off on the journey. And everything goes just fine for about three or four months. (laughs) And then there's a problem. And, 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 uh, one person bumped into somebody else, and somebody else bumped into someone else, and they come to Moses, and they want, they want some help. And Moses has to sit down and listen to both sides of it, and try to referee between the two of them. And, 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 isn't that a pretty good picture of our life? <laughs> You've got your stuff, I've got my stuff, I'm trying to get through life, you're trying to get through life, and I do pretty good as long as everybody stays out of my way. <laughs> I do pretty good as long as no one happens to be where I wander off the road. <laughs> if no one's standing there, then, then everything's okay. But, but if somebody happens to be there and I bump into them, then we have a problem. And that's exactly what happened to Moses. They were about three or four months into the journey, And two men came to Moses and said, Moses, we need to talk to you. He said, fine, I'll sit down here and hear what you have to say. And one of them said, I was going along on the journey and everything was fine, and his stuff bumped into some of my things, and now we've got a problem. And the other guy said, oh no, that's not the way it happened. Your stuff bumped into my stuff. And and, and Moses had to sit down and listen to both sides of the story. And by the time he got through listening to those two, there were four more standing in line waiting for their turn to talk to him. And when he got through talking to those four, there were twelve more standing in line. And the first thing you know, Moses is doing nothing but sitting there all day long listening to everybody's complaints and problems and strife that they're having. And And the problem with that is they're not going anywhere. For three or four months, every morning they got up, they cooked breakfast, they repacked their stuff, and they made some progress. But now they've been sitting here in one place for several days. In fact, Moses' father-in-law, a man by the name of Jethro, came by to visit them on their journey, and he said to Moses, he said, Moses, there's two problems here. He said, number one, if you continue to try to take care of all this by yourself, you're going to kill yourself. He said, number two, you're not making any progress. You're not moving forward. But, you know, if you're in the ministry, you are going to deal with people's cumbrance and people's burdens and people's strife. And let me say this. The pastor is not the only one in the ministry. The assistant pastor is not the only one in the ministry. Uh, uh, Brother Joe is not the only one in the ministry. Everybody in the room tonight who has anything to do with helping other people, especially associated to or, or influenced by the church, is in the ministry. The greeter at the door is in the ministry. The, the, the nursery worker is in the ministry. The uh, one running the PA is in the ministry. The one leading the singing is in the ministry. I know you didn't know this, but the one playing the piano is in the ministry. The one that vacuums the carpets in the ministry. The one that blows the leaves off the parking lot is in the ministry. The one that tears the shed down next door is in the ministry. The one that passes out tracks is in the ministry. The one that repairs the floor upstairs is in the ministry. The one that uh, uh, teaches the Sunday school class, that, that uh, preaches at the nursing home or the jail service, they're in the ministry. And if you're not willing to deal with people's cumbrance or burdens or strife, well, the only thing left is to deal with deal with animals or things. 
I remember my family and I were on a vacation. I mentioned the other day or yesterday that we took a vacation out west on another one of those vacations out west. We were driving across the state of Wyoming. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've ever driven across the state of Wyoming or not, but we literally drove about two hours on a state highway, not an interstate, but a state highway, across Wyoming, and we didn't see another human being outside our van for two hours. You're shaking your head. You've been there before, huh? And and for two hours, all there was on this side of the road, there was sagebrush as far as you could see, all the way to the horizon. That's all we saw. We didn't see a house. We didn't see a car. We didn't see a person. We didn't see a building. And on this side of the road, there was a barbed wire fence. And after about two hours, we came over a little knoll, and there was a man riding a horse on the other side of the barbed wire fence. And as I got a little bit closer, I could tell he had some tools tied to his saddle. He had a claw hammer. He had a a pair of wire flowers. He had a pair of wire snips. He had a little crowbar. He had a little bucket there with some staples in it, I suppose. And he was riding along on this horse, and he was looking at the fence. And you know what he was doing? If he found something broke, he was going to fix it. And I remember as we approached him thinking, wow, what a job. (laughs) You know, he doesn't have to turn in any uh, uh, annual reports. (laughs) He doesn't have to draw up any budgets. He doesn't have to appear before the board. He doesn't have to uh, hire any employees. He doesn't have to argue with any employees. He doesn't have to to deal with... All he's got to do is just pick out a saddle, pick out some tools... And ride on that horse. And I was thinking, wow, what a job. And about the time we got even with him, I said right out loud, but I love people too much. And my wife said, what? <laughs> you know, she, but I was just thinking, yeah, that looks like a great job, but I love working with people. And Moses said, I love working with you. He said, but there's so many of you, I can't deal with all of you by myself. And so the question is this, who is going to become qualified? Who is going to be willing to meet the challenge to step up to the place to where you're one of the ones that can be appointed to oversee ten people? You can be the one appointed to help 50 people. And maybe someday, if you help them long enough, you could help as many as 100 people someday. Who is who in the room tonight, who in this church, is going to step up and say, all right, if somebody needs help with their cumbrance, if somebody needs help with their burden, if somebody needs help with their strife, uh, I, I, I'll be the one that will be willing to help them. You, you see, uh, Moses and, and the people of Israel were on their journey, Everything was going great until one morning some guy got up and he packed his wagon. He packed his cart, his two-wheel cart. He had his furniture stacked on there. He had his uh, uh, clay water pot full of water up on the top of that. Uh, He had his donkey tied to the front. He had his goat tied to the back. He had his ducks all in a row, his geese all in a row. He had his children all in a row. And everything's going just fine until somebody else forgot to grease the axle on their cart. And the wheel fell off. And when the wheel fell off, that clay pot on the top of their furniture fell off and it hit a big rock. And it broke into a dozen pieces. And now there's a sharp point sticking up out of the sand. And the next guy comes along and his donkey steps on that sharp point. And when he does, he kicks. And when he kicks, he hits the goose of the guy next to him. And now this guy's geese is all running in around and he's all mixed up with this guy's geese. And this guy's children is arguing with this guy's children about whose geese are whose. And this guy's wife is arguing with this guy's wife about whose children are whose. <laughs> does it sound like your 
family picnic? <laughs> Does it sound like your family reunion? <laughs> Does it sound like choir practice? <laughs> okay, it sounds like life. And when you deal with people, you're going to deal with each one of those. Anytime you have people, you have cumbrance. Anytime you have cumbrance, you have burdens. Anytime you have burdens, it's, it eventually turns into strife. And each one of those is as common as the other. As common as people is, is, is cumbrance. As common as cumbrance is burdens. As common as, as burdens is strife. You and I have to decide where we want to fit in. Okay, you could be the one, there are a few people like this, you could be the one who has no stuff. Oh, there's people like that. We, we sometimes refer to them as homeless people. They, 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 have, they have no stuff. Or you could be the one who has some stuff, but he's not going anywhere with it. I, I grew up in Louisiana, and there was this one bayou that we fished on, and we duck hunted on it, and we, uh, we ran trot lines, went frog gigging, and all that stuff on this one bayou. And we would go up and down this bayou just dozens and dozens, hundreds of times during my, my childhood, and, and, and all, you know, until I left to go to college. And, and on that bayou, it was about as wide as this building, maybe not quite that wide, but about that wide. And it was about four to twelve feet deep in the bayou. And then on the each side of the bayou, there was a cypress forest. A cypress trees grow right up out of the water. When you got out of the main channel of the bayou, then the water was anywhere from six inches to two feet deep. And as far as you could see back through there, there was just a forest of cypress trees growing up out of the, out of the water. And about 20 yards off the main channel, somebody had gotten about 10 feet above the water and built a shack up in the cypress trees. And you know, I know somebody lived in that shack because uh, every time we would go up and down that bayou, one time the boat would be underneath the shack and the next time it wouldn't be there. And on a real cold, frigid winter night when the temperature down in Louisiana would plummet all the way down to about 45 degrees, <laughs> uh, uh, you would even see some uh, smoke coming out of the smoke snack in that, in that shack. But you know, in the 18 years that I went up and down that bayou, that shack never got any bigger. It never got any better. Oh, once in a while he would take the old tar paper off the outside of the shack and put some new tar paper on it. And one time he even took a rusty piece of tin off the roof and put a different rusty piece of tin on the roof. But he never put new windows in it. He never put a new door on it. He never made it. He never added a bedroom to it. But you know, the entire time that I lived there, I never one time saw the person who lived in that shack. He never went anywhere. He never made any progress in life. He had some stuff, but he wasn't going anywhere with it. So you can be the one that doesn't have any stuff, or you can be the one that has some stuff that's not going anywhere. Or if you want to, you can be the one who has some stuff, and you're going somewhere. In fact, you're willing to help anytime there's help. You know, there's somebody like this in every church. Uh, somebody like this on every job site. There's somebody like this in every family. You know, you say, uh, we need some volunteers to, and they say, I'll do it. What are we going to do this time? It doesn't matter what you're going to do. He's volunteering. He's ready to help. But every time he gets there to help, he bumps into somebody else while he's there. You're thinking about somebody right now, aren't you? Don't say their name out loud. 
Or you could be the one who's got his stuff, and boy, he's got it organized, and he's got, uh, you know, the, the, the German motto is a place for everything, everything in its place, and he's got some German blood in him somewhere because, boy, he's got everything organized. He knows where everything is. He knows where he's going. And, but woe be to the one who bumps into his stuff. <laughs> You're thinking about somebody else right now, aren't you? Or... One of these days, you could become the one who becomes mature enough that you could be called on to help somebody else with their stuff. You know, there was a time in your life when you needed somebody else to help you with your stuff. There was a time in your life when somebody brought the gospel to you. There was a time in your life when somebody helped you out when you were struggling. There was a time in your life when you needed somebody that had a good jack that would jack your car up because yours was broke. There was a time in your life when you ran out of gas and you needed somebody to help you get to work. Well, now it's your turn to turn around and become mature enough to help somebody else with whatever their need is. And you know, if you do that long enough, you might even someday get to the point of like Moses said. He said, uh, he said, I want you to judge. He said, those of you that are over, that are helping ten people, I want you to judge and help out. Those that are helping fifty people, I want you to judge between their problems and help them out. And those that are hundred people and five hundred people, and he said, but uh, the tough cases, he called them hard cases, he said, bring those to me. And you know, if you help enough people, maybe one of these days they'll even bring to you some of the hard cases. All six of those different levels are both important and normal. You know, don't let the, don't let the normal uh, frustrate you. Don't let it frustrate you that somebody needs, that somebody's always needing help. <laughs> That's normal. I think it was Colin Powell who said, uh, he, he said, uh, when, when they, when people cease to bring you their problems, you cease to be their leader. You, you know, don't let it frustrate you that somebody is uh, still way down here on this level. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't let it frustrate you that they haven't grown yet to, to this level. Uh, okay, it, it, it's normal and it's also necessary. You know, if there was nobody on this level, there'd be no candidates for this level. Oh, you know, what I'm saying is, if there was nobody who is still way down here on this level, there would be no candidates to become as wonderful as I am. My former pastor, Brother Hiles, used to say, the leader is the one who hides his panic. You know, if we were here in the building tonight and all of a sudden we began to smell a little bit of smoke and it dawned on us, the building's on fire somebody would jump up out of their seat and they would run around and around in a circle and go nowhere. You know, their life verse is when in doubt, when in danger, run in circles, scream and shout. <laughs> that, 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 that's, their, that's their life verse. But somebody else would jump up out of their chair and they would go straight out the back door, but they would knock down three people on the way out. And somebody else would very calmly stand up and say, why don't you folks go out this door right here and why don't you hold the door open and don't stop right outside the door. Move way out away from the building and you folks go out this door and you and, and all of a sudden we would all think he must be the leader. But you know he's smelling the same smoke all the rest of us are smelling. You won't get frustrated and you won't panic as often if you'll do the 
seven things I'm going to give you tonight. You might want to write them down. You won't have to. That Most of them you'll be able to remember. But I'm going to quickly tonight give you seven things, and I'll see what time it is, and I promise you we'll be out of here uh, 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 you know, in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, but but uh, I, I'm going to give you seven things to do tonight. And if you will do these seven things or do any of these seven things, you won't panic as often. You won't get frustrated as often. So let me give them to you real quick. Number one, Give the other person the benefit of the doubt. Anytime you're dealing with a situation where you and another person are involved in something, give the other person the benefit of the doubt. You know, it may be that he didn't mean to do it. You know, we want to quickly decide, oh, I know why he did that. He's trying to get me back. <laughs> well, it may be he just didn't mean to do it. it. That might be the case. Or, you know, it may be that he's doing the best he can with what he's got to work with. You know, there may be some cases where you're frustrated because uh, somebody's not doing very well. They're, 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 they're struggling in, a, in an area, and you're frustrated with them. But if you really knew where they came from, if you really knew what little they've got to work with, you'd be proud of them that they're doing as well as they are. I've often said, if you will sit down and hear somebody's whole story, you'll understand them a whole lot better in almost every case. Or it may be that uh, that that uh, he would do better if somebody would teach him. Have you ever heard this statement? I've said it myself. Anybody ought to know better than that. <laughs> yeah, anybody who's been taught what you've been taught. Uh, or it may be that he misunderstood what he was supposed to do. You know, I've learned something working with college students. I've been there 46 years now. And when you oversee college students for that many years, you learn something. You can get about 50 college students together and set them down and get every one of them to look you right in the eye. And you can make an announcement to them. And you're doing very good if you can get about 48 of them to do it similarly to the way that you announced it. But I guarantee you, every single time, one of them is going to do it not different than you said. He's going to do it exactly opposite of the way you said it. Every single time. And then there's always one who doesn't even know you made the announcement. (laughs) Or it may be that you would understand why he did what he did if you knew where he came from or what his circumstances are. Another thing I've learned about college students that Every year at the college, I've been there 46 years, it hasn't failed yet. Every single year there's always one student, at least one. Sometimes you have two or three, but every year at least one. And when you look at him, all you can do is just scratch your head. And you just wonder, why does he do it that way? (laughs) Everybody else does it this way. You're laughing because you've taught for years. You know, don't you? (laughs) You You know, everybody else does it this way. But this one guy, he just, you know, everything, he's different. And that's all. And not trying to be unkind, that's the only way to put it, is he's just different. <laughs> and you wonder, why does he see it different than everybody else on every issue? And then about two years later, his parents come visit the campus. All questions answered. <laughs> yeah, but, but they're never from Connecticut. They're always from Massachusetts, every time. <laughs> But give the other person the benefit of the doubt. Number two, assume the best, not the worst. 
assume the best. When you, when you and another person are dealing with an issue, don't automatically assume the worst possible scenario. Don't automatically assume that he's doing this on purpose. Don't automatically assume this is going to turn out the worst way it possibly... Look, don't be like... Uh, who was that guy? We all learned about him in American history. Uh, 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 Winnie the Pooh. You remember him? Uh, uh, don't, don't be like Winnie the Pooh's friend... Eeyore. Remember Eeyore? Oh me. Oh my. Everything's bad. But don't worry. It'll get worse. <laughs> you know, don't be like Eeyore. Assume the best, not the worst. Then number three, remember you only heard one side of the story. And I know that we're all tempted to think sometimes, well, this time it's so black and white. It's just so obvious that there can't be two sides. To the, oh, yes, there are two sides to every single story. And don't panic. Don't get frustrated until you've heard both sides of the story. And I know that sometimes you say, well, I don't need to hear both sides of the story. I was there. I saw it myself. <laughs> well, that leads me to number four. Number four, remember that even if you saw it yourself, you only saw it from your viewpoint. You only saw it through your line of reasoning. You only saw it from your logic. Uh, okay, you go downtown uh, 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 Stratford and, and, and you uh, uh, go to the major intersection there uh, where they had a wreck. And you interview the four witnesses that were standing on the four corners of the intersection and you'll get... To, four different stories, because they all saw it from a different viewpoint. So, number four, uh, remember that, that you only saw it from your viewpoint. And number five, this, this is my favorite one, number five, don't take it personal. Look, if you and another person happen to bump into each other, don't take it personal. Don't automatically assume that they're out to get you. <laughs> you, you know, you wouldn't worry as often about what people think about you if you realized how seldom they do? You know, very few of us have time to get up early, get dressed, get in our car, figure out where you're going, get there first, wait for you to come by, and bump into you on purpose. We just just don't have time to do that. I'm sorry. And so, just don't take it personal. And then number six... Let me, let me say, I'll admit that I understand that there are some times you can, you can give the other person the benefit of the doubt. You can assume the best, not the worst. You can hear both sides of the story. You can be careful not to take it personal. But the honest truth is the other person is simply having a bad day. Alright, that leads me to number six. It's our job to absorb each other's bad moments. It's our job to absorb each other's bad moments. I hate to inform you of this, but one of these days, you are going to make a mistake also. And when you do, when that finally happens someday, you're going to wish somebody would be patient with you. You're going to wish somebody would give you a little bit of grace. You're going to wish somebody would uh, would, but would be patient, would be kind to, to, to you and forgiving to you. I remember after I had worked on the staff of the First Baptist Church of Hammond for Dr. Jack House for about two years, 
He called me in one day, and he said, uh, me and another staff member, and he said to the two of us, he said, I'd like for the two of you to work together, and I'd like you to work on this project, and Ray, I'd like for you to do this, this, and this, and I'd like for you to do this, this, and this, and I'd like for you to work together, and when you get it done, bring it back to me. And so we left the office, and I went and did this, this, and this. But he didn't do any of that, that, or that. And it drug out, and it never did get done, and we were behind schedule. And so I went back to Brother Hiles. I knew he was a fair man. I knew he was honest. I knew he would work things out. I knew he would take care of it. And I knew I didn't even have to embellish the situation. I just had to just tell him what happened. And I said, Brother Hiles, you told us this and this, and I did this. He hasn't done that. And, and I knew he'd take care of it. And he looked at me and said, Ray, if I could get either one of the two of you to be a good Christian right now, I wouldn't have to referee. And I straightened my shoulders up as tall as I could and walked out from under his door and learned a lesson that day. It's our job to absorb each other's bad... And by the way, if the other person knows that you're absorbing their bad moment, you're not. You know, have you ever seen this attitude? I'm afraid I've had it before. You know, this attitude of, okay, all right, I'll be a wonderful Christian while you act like a jerk. No, you're not, you're not absorbing somebody's bad moment. You're having a bad moment. And then that leads me to number seven. Number seven is this. Simply be willing to love and help any needy person. Regardless of where they fit in. If they're the one with no stuff, if they're the, if they're the one that, uh, that uh, I, I told your pastor yesterday that uh, our pastor, Dr. Uh, Dr. John uh, Wilkerson, is our pastor now. He's been there, I think, about eight years now. And when we were uh, in need of a pastor, uh, I, I was one of the ones who recommended him to our deacon board. And the number one reason I recommended him to our deacon board is because of his spirit that he has and the way he deals with people and handles people. And I told your pastor that uh, several years ago, before he became our pastor, he was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach, California at the time. My daughter was in college at Howells Enders. She was on tour one summer. We have a, a singing group that goes out and tours the country every summer. And my daughter was in that tour group that summer. And she called me on the phone and my daughter was crying. And I said, Lacey, what's the matter? She said, Dad, nothing is the matter. She said, you won't believe what I'm watching right this minute. I said, what, sweetheart? She said, we got to this big church, downtown Long Beach, California, big First Baptist Church. She said, and the pastor came to the lobby and met us. She said, he's a tall man, uh, real distinguished looking. He's got on a real sharp looking wool suit. And she said, uh, he greeted us and welcomed us to the church and took care of some things we needed. And then uh, we went to do something and we came back and we couldn't find him. And she said, Dad, we're, we were looking around, we're trying to find him. And she said, uh, Dad, right this minute we've just found him. <laughs> He's sitting Indian style on the ground in his wool suit on the grass in front of the First Baptist Church downtown Long Beach and he's witnessing to a homeless lady right this minute. And my daughter was standing there crying, watching him do that. You know, every one of us ought to just simply say, if somebody has a need, I'll be willing to help. If they're the one with no stuff, if they're the one with 
some stuff, if they're not going anywhere, if they're the one that always bumps into everybody, if they're the one that gets upset when somebody bumps into their stuff. You know, everybody, even the one to whom we take the hard cases, everybody needs some help once in a while. Aren't you glad you have the kind of pastor that it doesn't matter what time of the day or night it is? It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what problem you have. If you stop and call your pastor, you know that regardless of what he's doing, he'll drop it and send his wife to help you. <laughs> no, even the one to whom we take the hard cases, everybody needs some help at some time. Brother Hiles, my former pastor, used to have a radio broadcast. And he would broadcast every morning from 9 to 9.30, uh, every morning that he was in town. And the name of the broadcast was From the Pastor's Study. Because he would broadcast live from the pastor's study. It wasn't one of those kind of broadcasts where you preach the Bible or teach the Bible. or, or, or It was just he'd play a few songs and, and he'd take some prayer requests over the air. Uh, people would call in and he'd take prayer requests. And uh, he'd, he'd uh, tell a joke. He'd tell where he'd been preaching that week. And he'd make himself a cup of hot tea while the radio program was going on. You could hear him making it. And, uh, and while the song was playing, he you could hear him whistling the tune and sipping his tea. And just a casual uh, get-to- know the neighborhood kind of a uh, let the neighborhood get to know us kind of a broadcast but every day he ended the broadcast with the same words he always said remember be good to everyone because everyone's having a tough time and goodbye from the pastor study let's be good to everyone everyone's having a tough time and the problem is this why don't Baptist Church is someday going to reach the point to where it has helped every single person it possibly can and there is nobody else that it can help if we all depend on one person to do it all. Or if we all depend on a little handful of people to do it all. But if every single person in this room tonight would step up a level, if every single person in this room tonight would admit, I still have some room to grow. I still have some room to mature. There's some things that I can still change about the way I deal with people and handle people and take care of my stuff so I'll have some time left over to help somebody else with their stuff. If every single one of us will say, I remember the day when that person that was ahead of me turned around and helped me. Now I'm going to turn around and help somebody else. If everybody in the room tonight would take a step up, we would never reach the point to where we had helped everybody we could help. There would always be some more room to help somebody else. I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you this tonight. Is there any room left? <laughs> Is there any growth left for you? Is there any room for you to mature? Is there any room for you to become more capable to help more people? And by the way, the way you do that is by helping people. You don't someday become super qualified and now you're going to help somebody. The way you increase your qualification is by helping people.
Take what you have and use it. Take the abilities you have, the skills you have, the strength you have, the time you have, the money you have. Whatever you have to work with, take that right now and immediately begin to help someone. And if you say, Brother Young, I don't know exactly what I could do to help somebody. Ask the pastor. I guarantee you he's got some places where he knows some people or he knows of some situations where there's some help needed and he could plug you in. He could match your skills and your talent and your energy and, 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 and your maturity to a right situation and you could help somebody. And if you help one person in that area, then it won't be long till you'll be able to help two people in this other area and three people in this other area. And who knows, someday you might be the one that oversees ten people. Or you might even be helping fifty people someday or a hundred or five hundred, as Moses said. Father, I pray tonight you'll help us Help every one of us to admit there's some room for growth. I still need to grow. I still need to mature. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, who would say, yes, you're right, Brother Young, there are some areas in my life, at least one area, that I recognize that I could still mature some more. I could still grow some more. Would you pray for me that I'll use this, what we've heard tonight, and continue to grow? Would you slip your hand up right now? Keep it up for a minute. I want to pray for you. Thank you. You may put it back down. Father, I pray for these that raise their hands. I pray for others that maybe should have, but just just some reason didn't. And I pray that when we leave here tonight, that every one of us will be on the way to maturing a little more. Every one of us will be on the way to becoming that one that can help someone else a little more than we have in the past. Thank you that these are... These people are willing to be here tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for meeting with us. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you please stand at this time? Whether you raise your hand or not, if you could stand right now if it's convenient. The moment when the piano begins to play, why don't you do this? If you know the area where there needs to be a little more growth, a little more maturity... Why don't you slip out, come to the altar, and ask God to help you with that area. If you haven't thought of an area yet, why don't you come to the altar and say, Lord, please help me. I need to know where it is that I need to continue to grow.